Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, please seek appropriate support and help. In this episode, I am in conversation with Molly McLaurin, who is the founder of Monarch Connections. Molly talked about what it means to her to be a biracial and transracial adoptee and how she navigated her identity. She discussed her work with Monarch Connection and her current relationship with her twin sister, adoptive parents and biological family. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Adoptees Identities. I am Crystal Pellicure, your host, and I am today joined by Molly McLaurin. And I'm so excited to, to have her here and share her story with us today. Molly is a Black, biracial, transracial adoptee who is writing her own story. As an adoptee, many of us have told stories about who we are and why we needed to be adopted. However, Molly is reclaiming her story and helping other adoptees to do the same. As an adoptee advocate, she first listens to adoptees and former fosteries, then uses her voice to speak to the general public, churches, and folks in child welfare services to think about the idea of adoption from our perspective. Molly firmly believes adoptees are the experts in adoption. Welcome, Molly. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, I loved what you just read about me. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm happy for you to be here too. And our work is really connecting because you are both here trying to give voices to other adoptees and rewriting the narrative to, to have the story of adoption to be told from adoptees' point of view. So I'm really you know, excited to hear what you've got to share with us today. So to start with, I was going to ask you to share a little bit about your background. So especially in terms of the adoption journey that uh, you went for. Yeah, thank you. I think, you know, in hearing that bio and even in writing it, it was one of those things like, how do I say who I am? You know, how do I introduce myself as an adoptee and as a person? But I, I really wanted to say it from my own perspective instead of just the way that I kind of in my head have a script you know I think as an adoptee and as an adult I'm almost 38 at this point so I'm like well into my adult years but I'm you know not not sad about my 38 year it's all good <laughs> but I think it's it's one of those things where you know for so long I was told what to say it wasn't because I was 
told like no one no one was literally like you need to say this but that's just what was the script and i think for now you know in the last five six years of my life i've really been gathering with other adoptees and really just making sure i hear from other people and not just to hear from other people for you know the sake of it but for understanding where we all as adoptees kind of have you know overlap and and where we don't and so i can understand the the vast array of what adoption is and so with that said i am a transracial adoptee so i was raised by white people who have this mindset that colorblind is okay and teaching colorblind isms or is you know isms is is the norm and is good and and for me you know growing up i never thought otherwise because i didn't know how to think otherwise and now i realize that you know now and the last 16 to 18 years i've been undoing that thought process and really understanding what that has done to me and and done to other people and so just really as part of who i am you know i'm someone who is real i'm, I'm a black woman and i'm realizing what does that mean for me you know as someone who never really knew their identity in terms of where I come from, because I didn't really know much about my biological family members, but now I have more answers and I know that I'm Haitian, which is really exciting. I know that, you know, my biological mom was someone I got to talk to before she passed away. And, you know, I'm not just an adoptee who's telling the script story anymore, which I'm really proud of. And uh, I'm also a mom of a two and a half year old and a wife and I've been married for almost almost 10 years when we've known each other for 10 years. So that's exciting, but we've been married for um, eight years now. So it's just a fun journey of forming my own family with my husband and my son. And so it's just really exciting. I'm a Delawarean. I live in Delaware, which is really exciting because it's kind of random, but I'm a traveler. So I've been to lots of different places in the world. And I really just love to meet people who are different and like to meet people who are the same and like to learn about other people's culture and learn different languages and eat different kinds of food. So yeah. We'll talk more about who I am in, in the various parts of our conversation. Yeah, that is a really great way of describing yourself because you've really owned your own story and your own identity, which is really exciting to see because this is one of the things a lot of adoptees really struggle for their journey. And also this is part of the the area I'm really interested about identity and how adoptees form their own identity because there's so much confusion coming yes. from what people tell us what we should be and and part of us that you've forgotten that really is suppressed underneath all that. I mean, I think personally, like as a transracial adoptee, when I started to venture out into like, well, what does it mean to be a black woman and what does it mean to be, you know, separate from my parents? Really, that was the first time for me it was college. So, you know, thinking about like people are viewing me, they're not viewing me as, you know, a transracial adoptee because all they see is me they don't see my parents they don't see my family photos they just see me and they might think oh she's black she's been you know she's raised with black people but my perspective has always been like how would they know that i am a just a black woman like that i'm only a black woman and not a transracial and i would have loved to just have that perspective but really it was so complicated for me because it's almost as if it, it's almost as if i had transracial adoptee or like raised by white people written on my face because i felt like it was so normal to me and i couldn't escape only that I like having that identity and so it is such a hard way to navigate forward because unless you've had racial mirrors or your family of origin in your life whether it's open adoption or really awesome adoptive parents who are exposing you to different types of people then you're really not going to have that comfort and I didn't have that and so it's been a long journey 
since, you know, it's almost been like 18 years of just kind of learning how to, how to find myself in that space and not feel like I'm an imposter, you know. And what the journey look like? What did you have to do to to get to where you are today? What's what's the lesson you had to learn or the things that you have to endure? <laughs> yeah, so many things. I mean, I think definitely when I went to college, I went to a diverse university. It was the, the most diverse university in the nation that year. So that was George Mason. And I wasn't necessarily going to the university for that reason. But then I also realized I'm excited to spend a spend time in a place where I'm going to see people who look like me, don't look like me, people who are from different continents, people I can listen to and not understand what they're saying based on the different languages that I'm hearing and just be willing to listen. And, you know, something you said in my bio was that I first want to listen to adoptees and first listen to, you know, former foster youth. And in general, I want to listen to people, you know, and so I think that being raised by white people who always kind of had this idea that like the, what they said was right or the way that they operate is norm. I also had that sense of identity. And so I had a lot of entitlement. And I think that I only realized that until when I was, you know, maybe in my mid twenties or my mid thirties and looking back or someone telling me like, oh, you were kind of entitled. And I'm like, ooh, that's hard to hear, you know? But I do think that like exposing myself to places where there was diversity and not just like one or two other people of color, but like the majority of the people that I'm around are minority. And it's like, that was a little bit uncomfortable in a lot of ways. But I think that going to a school for one that was just saturated with with mostly people of color is pretty great. And, and even just like the professors that I had that were white or that were maybe from a majority culture, you know, were not just their, their mindset was different than the white people that I was previously exposed to in my family. And so, wow, seeing that, that light bulb go on and like, okay, so you can be white and also be supportive of non-white people. Oh, didn't know that existed, you know? <laughs> and it's like, I laugh now, but really it was just like, without well, life-saving, you know? And, uh, and, and also being honest about like who I was. But I think that even then I would say something like, I was adopted and I'm glad. And now I say something like, I'm adopted and there's trauma or I'm adopted and there was, there's, there's more to the story than it's so great, you know, quote unquote. And then I think that like after college, I moved to inner city America. And, you know, again, like I was working for a nonprofit that was working with, you know, kids in the city and doing summer camps and after school programs. And it was very transformative for me in a lot of ways, racially, but in a lot of ways, just seeing a lot of the things that I learned in school, um, in college actually practically like lived out in, in the world and those things were always positive things because I learned about like crime and injustice you know so like when a black person's selling crack and versus a white person selling cocaine it's the same drug but you get different time you know and I never knew that as like a reality and I would call and tell my parents oh this is what I learned in college and I'm seeing it happen in this in this city that I live in and they're like that's not true and I'm just like it is true. Like I'm literally talking to to kids who are like, my parents don't, you know, live at home. They they're in prison and this is what's happening. And I'm like, oh, it's because of the things that like it's literally what I've learned to be true, you know. I think that for me, realizing that I didn't have education at home explaining some of those things or explaining even like how to interact with the police in a safe way or in a way that you have to as a black person, because I didn't have black people to teach me those things, that I was already at a deficit. And so a lot of that was me learning in my 20s, you know, from Black people, hey, you have to act differently when you live here. You have to move differently. And I'm just like, wow, I realize I'm late to the game, you know, and it really sucks to be late to the game because you don't even have, 
you know, as black people, we don't have second and third chances and opportunities to get it right with a police officer, you know? So it's one of those things where I definitely feel like, you know, yeah, God was, God's always been part of my story. And, you know, Lord, I'm like, Jesus, like, give me some people who can teach me some things, but also be like gentle with me, you know? And, and there's a ton of people in Camden, New Jersey that, you know, could have, could have been like, you're too much. You asked too many questions. You're doing a lot. But really, they walked alongside of me and heard my story. And once they knew, oh, you're raised by white people and you're adopted, like, it explains a lot. But I think that, you know, for me, just being willing to sit and be like, I don't know these things that I should know. I don't know these things as a black girl. I don't know these things as a black professional. And I like am embarrassed by those things that I don't know, but also having grace that like, you can't change those things because you don't know those things. And it's not really your fault. It was never really my fault that I didn't know how to do certain things or say certain things or not what, what not to do, what not to say, because I wasn't taught. And the people who raised me didn't provide those lessons for me by outside voices or whatever else, you know? And I guess it's like, it sounds harsh, but I, I do feel like it's, there's two, there's like two different thoughts. It's like, you have this idea of like, is it the white adoptive parents' fault that they didn't teach you these things? Or is it the agency or the system of adoption that didn't teach you these things? And I think it's both, you know, and I think a lot of people say, oh, well, it was the 80s when you were adopted. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not an excuse because the internet exists, you know, <laughs> and like books exist and other adoptees exist. So I think for me, the last thing I would say is just part of my journey is just talking to other adoptees. I've talked to other adoptees for a long time and they weren't even like black transracial adoptees. They might've been like intercountry adoptees who look similar to their parents, but aren't biologically related. And for me, it was just having that ability to say, what is your experience like? And, and okay, mine might not be at all like yours, but I do feel like we're the same in a lot of ways because we're not related to our parents, but we feel this, this same disconnect and we long for what was once ours and have no way to get to it. And so really just exposing myself to different types of people and learning from people of color and listening and being quiet. And then just, you know, trying to realize like being black is not a monolith and it doesn't have to look a certain way. I don't have to be this person or I don't have to be just like that person. I can be a mixture of things, but also realizing like our voice in this is one of the most important voices. It is the most important voice in adoption. Um, the adoptive voice is the expert voice. And so really standing on that as part of my identity too, and the journey and telling other adoptees, look, you're an expert. You don't have to go to school to, to get any sort of degree in adoption. You have, I mean, you can do all that and that's wonderful, but already you have experience of however many lived, lived years you have in your life, you know? And so I think that's where I just try to empower folks and say, you know, if you're a transracial adoptee and you've been transracial, you've known you've been transracial your whole life, you're an expert. If you're a same race adoptee, you're an expert in that, you know, so it's, it's just like, um, yeah, it's been a lot of things, but it's, it's definitely been, um, a journey. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think, yeah, all adoptees have something to say about adoption because like you say, we've all had the lived experience. So it is, it is up to, I think, adoptees to just show up and share their stories and how agencies, adoptive parents, what it feels like growing up as an adoptee, because I think unless you live that experience, you can't understand what's going yeah. on. And I think I'll even add to that. Like, I think it's like, 
I don't want, I don't even think that it's like the adoptee has to do the labor even for free for everyone else to understand. But it's like, there's an extent of, you know, there's an extent of like, yeah, I can share a little bit here and there. And then, hey, if you want to like through a business that I have and other people have started things, if you want to pay for this content or you want to create, you know, you want to. So I think that's it's 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 a um it's a fine line, you know, because it's like, how much do I just pour out of my story, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok or other social media sites or a blog so people can read about it and understand. And then like, OK, check the box like I've done something about it versus, you know, you pay for therapy you pay for you pay you buy books about self-help so buy something that an adoptee has created you know and even if there's no way if you look if someone's out there oh I really want to support an adoptee but I don't see anything in there um they don't have a page just Venmo them some money <laughs> like Venmo everyone should Venmo this this woman who's hosting this uh, this podcast because she creates content you could just Venmo her and say hey Christelle thank you for creating this this content you know and I think that people um are catching on to that as an idea, but yeah, payment for our labor is necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's a, it's a balance between us trying to empower adoptees or the adoptees to, to hone their voice. But at the same time, a lot of the adoptive parents and agency are actually learning from us as well for free. <laughs> so yes. it's a, it's a, it is a balance. And it does touch what you said earlier about accountability because you said oh it's it's definitely not the adoptee's fault because we've never asked for anything <laughs> we've yes. just been put in this situation but who should be taking responsibility <laughs> is it the agency or is it the parents and i think both should be taking accountability because they've made decision to put a child in that situation yeah they had the choice yeah yeah I agree with you. And I think that's like this thought that, you know, many people maybe is an old school way of thinking. Well, it's like, well, I adopted and I didn't know they're going to be mixed race. I didn't know they're going to be black, blah, blah, blah. And that's a possibility that you may not know those things. However, like you see the, ch the child when they come out, you see the child when you've adopted them and they don't look like you. So now you have to know how to like think, huh, I've got to learn some different skills. I need to like reach out to different types of people. I need to maintain consistent, long-lasting relationships. So my children who don't look like me, who don't have the same kind of hair as me and beyond hair and, and skin, I'm like, you need to, you know, learn about how to create a culture in your house to discuss culture, to discuss adoption. And so, so those are some of the things I discuss. Like I have a company called Monarch Connections and through that I've done events for the last four years. And a lot of the events are adoption related. Not all of them are, but um, really most of the events and the things that I the topics I try to discuss are like topics we don't talk about as a society and topics that are going to empower the marginalized person, you know? So we might talk about women and, you know, talking about childbirth and we were going to talk about the things that like maybe we've never discussed as women, or we might talk about adoption and people who come to this adoption seminar or panel, they're going to think, oh yeah, I know something about adoption and we're going to flip it for you in a way that you've never heard about adoption because we're sharing things that are are so that are so far left and right that you're like I've never heard these things and I think that um you know there's there's a course that I that I sell on my website or I guess my website's changing right now but I do have the content it's called home improvement and adoptee's guide to revamping your home and I talk about the fact that even if you have especially if you have a transracial or an international adoptee especially that they don't you know if they're white and they're adopted from an international place you still need to 
you still need to um, white or they look look closer to a white person's skin, but they're not from your country. You still need to like think about what culture do they come from? What kinds of foods do they do they eat in this home country where I've taken them from? What kind of music? What kind of um, holidays are important? And and for the person of color, you know, transracial adoptee, these parents really need to be thinking about that and really integrate that into their everyday life. And when those things don't happen, it's really just like, you don't care. You just see us as a white person. I guess you're just trying to mold us into you. And that's not what adoption, well, that's not what I I want to be in this situation for. And you said that really great point. You said, nobody asked us if we want to be here. You know, nobody asked our opinion. We just got into the situation. And I think that's absolutely profound and absolutely true. And, you know, the counter argument to that is how do you ask a baby if they want to be adopted? Well, biology probably says that they don't, you know, biology says that, you know, you shouldn't separate a mother from a child, but you know, that's a whole other thought. And I think that, um, of course there's, there's reasons when people need to be adopted and, and that's understandable, but then you need to follow suit with every other thing, you know, that's going to make that person feel whole and not just feel like you scoop them up and you're quote unquote saving them. <laughs> I mean, I, I always have this idea, like how it's, adoptive white parents would feel and if you tell them you put your white child to be adopted into a black family yes. and you erase everything that came with that child if your child <laughs> including yeah. your culture and everything else and impose that black culture on your child yeah just having to think about that <laughs> for a moment is i think if every adoptive parent to adopt a child from a different culture and race have that discussion with themselves first, yeah, might have a different way of thinking about how they put that child into their own environment. Yeah, I have some friends who are. I mean, they're they're not white, and they're <laughs> one person is Puerto Rican and one person is Filipino, and maybe the other, yeah, maybe the person who's Puerto Rican might be mixed Puerto Rican and white, but nonetheless, they adopted and they adopted someone who's not even any of those races that they are. And they came to me looking, you know, hey, we know you do these events and we want to we want to learn as much as we can. And I'm like, you know, great. I'm glad you're here. I trust y'all as friends. But honestly, I feel like you guys are already so far ahead because you already celebrate your own culture that you don't need my help, you know. And hey, I'm like, shout out to y'all if you're if you're listening. I'm not going to name you, but you know who you are. It's one of those things where I feel like blessed that they're already coming to me knowing that like their son is different than their culture and they want to know what they can do. And I'm like the same way you celebrate your own culture, which is like ingrained in who you are, because I've known you as people. And that just seems like ingrained in who you are. Just do that. And I'm like, I that's what I it's funny because I feel like I often tend to, you know, stick to my lane, which my lane is transracial adoption. And, and, and I can talk about that and I can talk to the parents that are white because I'm like, here are things not to do. And here are things you can do because here are things that I have already experienced. You don't need to recreate for your child. You know, we don't need to recreate the wheel of all these things that we've already experienced. Just listen to us, apply something new and learn forward. So your kids don't have to suffer the ways we did. But I think that like when, you know, people who already celebrate their, their identity and their race and like cherish those cultural, cultural norms and their traditions, I'm like, y'all are 10 steps ahead. You're good. You know, like, so it is really interesting because it's, it is like, there are other ways to be transracially adopted families, like their story, but I'm like, you guys are already 
you're already living your life where your identity and your cultural, you know, heritage and your background is important to you. So I don't even think that you need my services, you know? So it's just like really sweet to me that they would humble themselves and come to something like that where I'm like, great, like, this is great. And this is an example of an adoptive family that's making a move, you know, investing in my content as an, as an expert in my lived experience. And so that's what makes me, you know, motivated. And I think more recently, I've been talking to like black, same race, adopted parents, where I think that, you know, in my mind, maybe I I thought, oh, transracial adoption is like, it's just so different from most things I've, you know, most, most identities in the world. But now that I talk to a lot of, I've met a lot of same race black adoptees and, you know, many of them say, Hey, I know I'm not a transracial adoptee, but I feel a lot of the same ways you feel. And I'm like, wow, more than one person has said that to me. And that is, that's worth pausing for. Right. So they're like, I don't necessarily feel, and it's, and it's not like I didn't know, Oh yeah, you probably feel disconnects because you're not like biologically related, related to these people. You still feel rejection, you know, you still feel a lot of the same things, but even some of those things that you know, black same race adoptees, I can't speak for feel. And I'm now starting to, to, to think about as a business owner and just like as an adoptee, how can I ask black adopted parents questions like, how are you centering your adoptee? How are you thinking about their first family and incorporating that into your world and your life and your daily culture in your, in your house and family? Because just, just the same way I speak to white adoptive families and, and other places. Like I don't water it down. I just say, this is what it is. So this is complicated and uncomfortable, but I'm going to tell you this now. So you don't have a child that's experiencing these things, which you can prevent, prevent the same way that I've asked a couple of black adoptive parents, you know, have you heard of the idea of centering the adoptee? And most of them say, no, have you heard of ways that you can find adoptee community? And sometimes the conversation is, well, I don't want this person to know that they're adopted. And I'm like, we definitely can't keep that secret. We need to, everyone needs to know that they're adopted. You know, I'm a huge fan advocate of saying there needs to be no more late discovery adoptees, you know, no matter how you're adopted. So it's really just reminding myself, like, I do think black adoptive parents give me a sense of joy in some ways because it's like, there's racial mirrors in your house. There's racial connectivity. But if you're not even thinking about the centering piece where you're like, what is this adoptee going through? This adoptee, this adopted child is going to turn up to an adopt, turn into an adopted adult. And how am I setting them up to feel like they can explore that identity and they can go back and talk to their biological families. And, and I'm thinking through their perspective and not just my perspective as I adopted you because quote unquote, you're so loved and you should be so grateful. Like that is such dangerous language. And that is what a lot of adoptive parents say and do, you know, but I think that when you're a same race family through adoption, it can become, it can become more secretive and it can also maybe appear to be, oh, well, you know, it's, it's probably better because we all look, look alike, but you know, sometimes that's an easier like a scapegoat almost for the parents to not do any work, you know, whether white or Asian or black or whatever it is, same race adoption, you just look like everyone, or you think everyone looks so alike that you're just like, we don't have to do any work. And it's like, you should still learn about the person who's adopted from a country that looks like you guys maybe don't look different, but you should still learn about this country because this is somewhere that your child comes from. And you should take an, an interest in that and help them to understand and grow their, their norm. Um, 
culture instead of just making them assimilate to white American um, or to black American or whatever it might be. So yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm entering different kinds of territory and realizing like there's different nuances to it. And, and it's not just everything. I feel like everything I've learned and that I do is like integrative. It's not just like, oh, I'm this expert voice. It's like, no, I could pull like Maria and my friend Marta and I could pull all these other friends that I'm like, hey, like here you are, Stephanie, what is your thought on this? You know, Maria, you helped me understand reunion, help me understand this, you know, like all these different people who are willing to, um, you know, be vulnerable on a daily basis. I think I, I pull from all the different voices that I've like been blessed to hear from, you know, blessed to be in my in my friend circle. So, yeah. It's a really interesting way to dive into all the different nuanced families of transracial adoption. And where are you in your journey? So earlier you say that well, your adoptive parent has not been very supportive and not so understanding of, especially when you're at college, telling them all the things that you're learning. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned about you are reunited with your birth mother before she passed away. Yeah. So where are you now in your journey? Yeah. Um, I have a twin sister who was adopted with me and we're really, really close. Growing up, we weren't... Growing up, I feel like we were close. And then, like, I feel like college and post-college, we were kind of just in this, like, high-low relationship. It was like, one day we were really close and three months later, we were not talking. And so I'm really grateful that, like, her and I are, you know, considerably, like, great, great best friends right now, you know? And that's really awesome. And um, so, you know, she's a wonderful aunt to my son. And I think there's probably times in my past where I'm like, will we ever be close again? You know, so it's now I look back and I'm just like, I don't think that this will ever change. So I'm so grateful that, you know, I have this sister that has always been there for me. And now she's an aunt and she's a wonderful, wonderful being, um, you know, to just be part of my family, be part of my husband and son and, and her husband and her and her daughter is just a wonderful way to be connected. And so I would also say like, yeah, my adoptive family, my adoptive parents, I should say, I should correct that. Um, they're not active in my life. They, from my perspective, have a hard time talking about race and identity and diversity. And if anything, those are the, those are the things I like to talk about. And um, I think that it's just easier to not, to, it's easier to not have to water myself down to be around them. I don't want to have to tiptoe on, on eggshells because we can't say certain things. We can't talk about certain things. If anyone listens to this podcast and has known me from childhood to middle school, to high school or college to now, there's been lots of versions, you know, of me and lots of, you know, different ways that I've, I don't know, existed. But I think that my adoptive parents, like, yeah, they haven't been willing to walk alongside of me as I've transitioned into different thought processes and become a proud Black woman, a proud Haitian woman. And like, they haven't been interested in participating in my identity or, and even the things that I find interesting. So we don't talk, you know, it's, it's like in a strange relationship, they don't really acknowledge me. So I've always felt like Black sheep and now it feels like confirmed, you know, but at the same time that that relationship really kind of ended, I got connected to my biological mom, some biological cousins on that side of my life. So my biological mom is white and my, um, the mystery of my life has always been, where is, where am I from? Where's this brown skin? Where am I from? And all that stuff. And 
I did speak to my biological mom and I said, Hey, you might know something about my biological dad because no one else seems to know. And she gave me some information and it wasn't really a lot, you know, but it was just like, okay, well, something, some things that maybe helped me to sleep at night, but nothing that was like profoundly changing the world. So I was just like, okay, nothing new that like, not even really a name. So I was just like, okay, well, back to square one kind of thing. And I know adoptees who have hired private investigators and I thought maybe that was a route I had to take to find this person. But about two months later, my sister texted me and said, hey, there's a connection on 23andMe who's related to us on our paternal side. And so ever since that day, we have been in conversation with our paternal Haitian loving side of the family. So it's been awesome. And um, I actually just got back from Florida um, when I was just this last weekend. Um, and I got to see my biological father for the first, the second time, I should say, not the first time. And I got to be at a house party with cousins I met for the first time. And one of my cousins said to me, hey, you don't know me, but I'm so-and-so. And I'm like, I love that. And she's like, and I'm your cousin. And I'm like, I love that you just walked up to me at a party and said that. Like, that is truly exciting for me. So I am... Um, with my husband and son, we got to really enjoy just like being in a house and hanging out with people that look like me, that I'm related to. I got to eat Haitian food with everybody. I was like, I don't know what I'm putting on my plate. Someone's like, do you know what this is? I'm like, uh, uh, I need help. I put it on my plate anyway. And like, it goes with everything. I'm like, okay. And so again, I remember walking around the room before I left and I just said, you know, thank you for not thinking this is super weird and like not embracing me and my husband and my son and my sister and her family. And they're like, why, why would we do that? And I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, so it's just, it's a, it's an answer to a prayer that I've had a long time. It's not something that I prayed about consistently, but just like always been in my heart. Like, God, will I, will I know where I'm from? Will I know these people and will I be accepted? You know? And, um, yeah, it's as a mom, as an adoptee, it's like, woof, this is amazing. Amazing is like, not even like the right word. It's just like, it's, I said on Facebook, thankful is an understatement, you know? It's overwhelmed, overwhelming. It's like there's words in the dictionary that just don't exist for the adoptee experience and um, all throughout. And so I think it's just one of those things for me that I'm I'm glad to be, you know, connected to some people and still meeting people and still learning about what Haitian identity I can explore and be. And yeah. So yeah, and I think I would just add to that, like in my journey as to where I am now today. Um, I also just got off the phone with my pastor, like shortly after that trip. And I was like crying through the conversation because I was like talking about like how we need to be a church that, that has ministries that serve adoptees and first families and former foster youth. We need to be a supportive existing place for everyone. Um, there are a handful of people who've adopted in the church that I go to. And I was just kind of asking the church, do we promote adoption or who are we, you know? And he's like, we don't necessarily promote adoption, but a lot of adoptive families come here so that their black children and brown children can feel a sense of community. And I said, that's great. That's a great starting place. But is there more, you know? And um, and I appreciated the pastor supporting what I had to say. And I think that more churches and more institutions need to understand that racial mirrors could like make or break a lot of the lives of transracial adoptees. And I left the meeting letting them know that adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide. And I feel like I, I leave rooms that I'm in letting people know that statistic because it's that dire, you know? So I, I think that part of my journey right now is to make sure I'm advocating for those who are no longer here because they didn't feel like they had any anyone or a, safe, a safety net or community to talk to or whatever the reason was that they're no longer here. And sometimes that's 
due to adopt adoption murder, you know? So it was one of those things that like, all right, you know what? I'm not so privy and well-educated on suicide prevention and suicide, you know, anything. But if I can say that statistic and let people know how dire it is for the safety of adoptees, then I'm going to say it. So that's where I try to advocate, advocate for all of us. Yeah, it, it does break my heart every time I hear an adoptee to say that they haven't got any connection with the adoptive family anymore. Not because yeah. they should, but because this is a reality of what is happening. We Children are put into a family and those families are expecting the child to remain the same throughout their life. And as soon yeah. as this child becomes an adult and think his own belief, yeah. then the family are not willing to follow and support that uh, adult. That's it. So that's, that is really quite difficult to hear for me personally. But at the same time, I think it's so great for you that you had a, a good experience with your reunion because that also is another issue. It's quite delicate for a lot of adoptive because sometimes it doesn't always yeah doesn't always work out yeah so yeah. i am really pleased for you that you can find that racial mirroring and some of the questions you've had for a long time i am celebrating with you thank <laughs> you well we are coming to the end of our time together and i always ask my guests one final question so if you had to give yourself a younger self uh, an advice Mm. give a young adoptee an advice what would that advice be that's a good question yeah maybe it'd be something like find a mentor or something along those lines it's harder to say that to a a kid right because it's like how do you tell a kid to like find a mentor but you know maybe like who's the trusted adult in your life or who's the trusted who who's someone that you feel like you can open up to whether it's yeah like and and feel that freedom to open up you know because I think there's a lot of people who can live in whether there's something you can live in secrecy, right? So it's like, I'm feeling some type of way about being adopted, but I can't tell anyone that, or maybe something's happening that shouldn't be happening to a child. And who do they know that they can talk to, you know? So I think it would be something like feel the freedom to find a trusted person to open up to them. But that is way easier said than actually done. And there's a lot of risk. So that's just kind of my off the top of my head, but I understand that that is, you know, that's very complicated and it could be, you know, it could be really uh, impossible for a lot of young people to do that. But maybe it's when you're in your teen years or when you're even a young adult, you know, just know that you're not alone and that you, what you have in your head and in your heart exists to be shared so that people can care for you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. Where can people find you if they want to follow your work? Awesome. Thank you for asking. I am on Instagram. I mostly post on my, um, I have two accounts. So Monarch Connections, all one word. And that is where you can kind of see more stuff that I post about adoption, identity, and soon I'll be doing like a, a hosting a women's book club and things like that. So you can follow me there. Also, I have an account called Identity, the letter N, race. So that's kind of like my personal account, but I do still share kind of related things to all the things we've talked about today. Um, and I do have a website, but it's switching domains right now. So it's it used to be monarch-connections.com. It should still be that. So the best place I would say is just to email me. And even if you want to email me and say hi, or you have a comment about this podcast or whatever, I like emails. So it's molly 
Monarch Connections, all one word, at gmail.com. Molly, Monarch Connections at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Amazing. And uh, you can find all this detail in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Thank you very much. This is Christelle Pellecure, and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities, where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and until next time, goodbye.